Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, why college football's loss could be soccer's gain. How the Premier League is caught in the middle of a tech versus media giant war. Bleacher Report is back, back again for soccer rights. We debate if MLS should try to appeal to soccer fans or American sports fans. Who needs Messi more to boost their TV ratings? Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnair. Kartik, um... We've probably got more this week, uh, more news and uh, more listener mailbag to focus on. Not as much from what we've been watching. I know you've been busy reporting and following um, the hurricanes and hopefully all of our listeners in the, in those areas, um, including uh, Colin Werner, who writes our uh, our weekly column about uh, TV ratings. Hopefully everyone's going to be okay and, and we'll make it through safely. But uh, from this past week, what's been your favorite match that you watched? Oh, it was definitely the Europa League final. It was uh, a back and forth. And, and for the third successive match, Sevilla gave up a penalty early. And obviously against Wolves, uh, uh, Jimenez missed a penalty. So uh, Sevilla goes on to win that match. But uh, second successive match, they found themselves a goal down inside of five minutes or inside of six minutes due to, to a penalty and a defensive error. And uh, they were able to claw back. And, and for me, uh, the, the big takeaway from this match was the one, the tactical uh, noose of nouse of uh, uh, Julian Lopetegui and the uh, analysis Roberto Martinez gave in the CBS studio pre-match about, okay, he's decided to go with Luke de Jong, which is very odd in, in how it changes the way Sevilla will play rather than playing, uh, playing nice kind of square balls and, 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 and on the ground to their number nine, you're going to be playing more aerial balls and more crosses. Well, as it turns out, that was a smart strategy. Uh, Lopetegui must've thought of this because Conte's teams we know are kind of inflexible in their three, five, two, right? So you had your win backs, uh, uh, De Gabinini and, and, uh, Ashley Young pushed pretty far up the pitch. You have three center backs, but then if you have a uh, a target man, you're you're forcing you know the, those those wing backs to defend crosses, and uh, you, you you may be able to get a little more uh, of uh, attacking uh, impetus against the three man back line. And obviously, De Young scored twice. So great piece of analysis from. Roberto Martinez pre-match on that, and then during the match, Drury and Deglin 
wow, they were on their A game. I mean, they, they normally are, but they were so listenable to. So you have a great match with a lot of back and forth, five goals, several other chances, a trophy on the line, major European trophy, and then you have uh, these two uh, uh this duo who are so familiar and comfortable with one another uh, calling uh, an epic match. I mean, I, I can't think of anything better. <laughs> it would be the, the match of the week any week, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the thing about, <clears throat> about Sevilla is, is they're such a good side. I mean, they're always so good in the Europa League. And um, and then when I, when I watch them in La Liga, uh, I mean, sometimes they're wonderful. Other times they're kind of dull and boring. But uh, overall, though, too, yeah, I agree with you, Kartik. That was a great game. What I find interesting, and, and maybe it's me, but with Roberto Martinez, I mean, I, I hold him on a, a high pedestal. He's definitely uh, one of the best analysts. And, and I've always enjoyed listening to him. Uh, of course, too, he's a former Swansea City player and manager, so I've got a soft spot for him there. But what what I find interesting is that, and again, maybe it's me, but his accent seems stronger now than what it was in the 2014 World Cup when he was working for ESPN. And uh, I have to listen a lot more closely to Roberto uh, when he's in, in that studio, given the analysis. And maybe it's because they're in London with their all-European um talent there where the accent seems to be maybe he's more comfortable I don't, I don't know for me it's just it's just a little bit harder to understand him than in previous years now i, I can understand him i just have to listen in and really really closely did you see the same feel the same way kartik yeah i i Look, I, I hadn't consciously noticed it until you mentioned it previously uh, on uh, last week's show or two weeks ago, but I've noticed it since. And I think uh, when you consider most of the production team is probably British there and the other studio punditry are British or other European nationalities, it's probably a reflection of that. Whereas when he was working for ESPN, even if some of the other pundits were British – they were American producers, right? So the way you inflect your voice, the way you talk to them might might be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roberto Martinez has spent, I think, more of his adult li- – well, most of his adult life he's, he spent in, in the United Kingdom. I want to say he spent more of his life period in the United Kingdom than anywhere else, Spain or now uh, obviously in Belgium. So yeah. he probably has a different level of comfort in terms of how he speaks around British people. Uh, and when I say in the United Kingdom, that's between Wales, Scotland. And uh, and England, he's been in all three places, but in the UK in general, he spent most of his life. So my favorite match from this past week was a MLS game. It was uh, Inter Miami against Orlando. Uh, Inter Miami got their first win uh, in the history of the club, <clears throat> and um, it was a really, really uh, swing swap, uh, kind of a kind of back and forth game. Uh, Rodolfo Pizarro for Inter Miami uh, had had a fantastic game. And uh, it was just really entertaining to watch. It was one of those games that uh, as, I mean, if it was another five minutes in this game, Orlando probably would have tied it, tied it and they probably would have gone on to win it. Um, it was just uh, really kind of <clears throat> not, not, not your most beautiful game in terms of, uh, you mean, kind of defending by any means, a lot, lot of defen- defensive mistakes, but just a real joy to watch. What I thought was interesting for me personally was uh, watching this one on ESPN+. Plus. And I wasn't sure what commentary I'd get. Would I get the commentary from uh, the one, the local one from Orlando, or would I get the local one from Miami? Uh, I no live, no longer live in the South Florida region, and uh, I ended up getting the one from Orlando, which was for what the the rest of the country would have gotten too, except for uh, South Florida. 
Uh, so with South Florida, I missed the de- debut of uh, Andres Cordero and Ray Hudson, uh, who, who are doing the commentary for Into Miami. Uh, I did get a chance to watch and, and listen to some of the commentary on on Twitter, the ones that they, they tweeted out, which was really fun to, to watch and listen to. But um, instead, I got uh, the Orlando crew and um, not familiar with them at all. But uh, Ali Krieger was uh, on there as a second analyst. So that was interesting. That was different. Uh, but yeah, that was my favorite game of the week. I mean, the Sevilla Inter game was, was uh, top level, uh, no doubt. Um, the Bayern... PSG game Kartik for me going into this game I thought this was going to be a 3-3 I thought this was going to be goals galore and in hindsight I should have thought harder about this one both teams really kind of cancelled each other out it was pretty equal for um, most of the match and uh, yes it was open um, but there were the pass I I think neither team actually played at their best the passing was off quite a bit Um, but pre-match though I did enjoy Something a little bit different. I mean, we had 90 minutes of coverage uh, from CBS Sports. The thing I thought was interesting that at first I thought, OK, this is going to be corny, is having the debate. They had a debate where they had uh, uh, three other analysts on one side and three on the other side. And three of them uh, picked uh, PSG as, as their team. The other three picked uh, Bayern Munich. And then they went through uh, position by position, uh, you know, goalkeepers, defenders, etc., but also experience and other categories, and had to d- debate. Uh, I mean, kind of stand up for their team and, and debate debate uh, PSG versus uh, Bayern Munich. And I thought that was actually something I haven't seen before. It's pretty basic. The idea uh, there was a little bit of talking over each other, which which wasn't helpful at all. But overall, I thought that was an interesting take. I, I wouldn't want to see that every single game, but it was different. They tried it, and uh, it ended up being, you mean, I think it was a, a draw, right, as far as, I think, uh, PSG, yeah, the number of votes that they got. Roberto Martinez was the, was the judge. He was the one that, that would hear the different uh, sides of the debate and then say, okay, the winner for this category is yeah, Bayern Munich, whoever it may be. But anyway, I, I thought that was uh, an interesting take. Yeah, and uh, Julian Lorenz Lorenz joined uh, CBS for this uh, for this broadcast for this pre game. He was part of that that game show format or whatever you want to call the the the, the format that ended up three uh, three. So with him and Honningstein, you have a real ESPN FC of the past feel uh, to to that pregame and to the postgame. Uh, it was good to get someone who who. Uh, had an expertise on PSG because obviously you had, and who's in London, obviously you had uh, Honningstein who has a, an incredible expertise on, on the Bundesliga in general. Although um, I should mention Honningstein, a lot of Honningstein's reporting through the years when he was on ESPN FC, when he was on the guardian podcast was specifically about uh, Thomas Tuchel. So uh, actually he was well equipped to, to analyze uh, PSG as well. Yeah, and overall, I thought that um, the pregame was was pretty good. Uh, in postgame, pretty good. Um, not, nothing, you I mean, outstanding. But I think we're starting to get used to uh, the talent and starting get, getting used to um, the, you I mean, you know, some of the humor that they have and and some of the other things. But uh, and the game itself, I mean, I think a lot of the times though too. I mean, throughout the the entire tournament, is that. Um, if the game's a fantastic game, then the talent feeds off that. And, and this could be for any broadcaster. If it's a dull game, boring game, nothing much happening, oftentimes it, the level of analysis is about that same level. You mean, but if it's an exciting game, which was, this was exciting, but it just wasn't a classic, uh, 
that that commentary or that that analysis uh, uh, kind of uh, thrives off that. But um, one of the interesting things I that you picked up on Kartik and when when I watched it I thought the same thing too was when they had right before the kickoff they said okay let's go around the table and this let's ask who's going to win this game and every single person you know Roberto Martinez um Mika Richards uh Jamie Carragher and I think Kate Abdo I'm not sure if uh, she asked herself this one but every single person said PSG and when when they said that I was I was like wow I, I'm shocked I'm really surprised like like how much credence they're giving to PSG and thinking that they can rise above Bayern Munich in this one I I mean for me Kartik I would have said Bayern Munich I mean, yes this is in hindsight but I would have said Bayern Munich at that moment when when they were doing it I was like how could they not vote for for Bayern Munich yeah, I thought that was odd. They were putting, after all of their analysis, and maybe Mika Richards prevailed on the rest of them because he was so into the the whole star power argument, which is the same argument he gave for Barcelona beating Bayern, by the way, and we know how that turned out. Um, they all kind of bought into that, the Neymar-Mbappe thing, not thinking about uh, – other factors and factors that Roberto Martinez in particular has pointed out throughout this kind of mini tournament about how strong Byron's midfield is in controlling matches. It's a two man midfield, but it's Goretzka and, uh, and Tiago and how uh, they're just able to control the tempo of games, control the possession, control the flow through those two guys. Uh, and, that didn't necessarily happen in the first half of the match, as it turns out. But then the second half, Thiago, for me, far and away the best player on the pitch. And uh, Goretzka, not that far behind. Him and Kimmich would be the other two that were outstanding. Um, there was, you know, obviously the uh, the question mark about Coman starting in, st- in front of Perisic, which I, I thought was was meant to negate the, the pace of PSG and uh, negate... The, the, the ability of, of, of Di Maria to uh, to create for Mbappe and, and, and Neymar. And as it turns out, none of them mentioned that. Everybody was kind of was kind of uh, surprised by the change by uh, Flick, but said, oh, uh, it's because of Paris is playing three games. He's, he's 31, which is true, playing three games in such a rapid succession, uh, which we saw him do, by the way, during the World Cup, and he scored in the World Cup final for Croatia. Those were in rapid succession, but he would have been 29 at the time. Um Jermaine Genus, who was the, the co-commentator with Clyde Tilsley for this one, did say, did make the point I made, which he thought probably uh, Coman was there also to negate uh, the width of PSG. So uh, that was a point made by the co-commentator and not made by the studio team, which uh, maybe it's my own personal bias because I had made that same point the second that the, the team sheet came out that I thought this is why uh, Flick was doing it. But uh, yeah, I was really surprised by their pick of PSG. Um, I don't want to hold that against the studio team because they were great otherwise during mm-hmm. this entire tournament. But that was that was very strange, particularly from Roberto Martinez because he had spent so much time over the course of the last three weeks or two and a half weeks, however long this mini tournament was, talking about Bayern's strength in the midfield and their ability to control tempo. And then when you push it out to Perisic, and in this case it would be Coman, Coman and, and Gnabry, how uh, that just f- plays into this entire s- tempo that they've established under Hansi Flick and, and the free role of Muller. So I was, uh, I, I was kind of shocked by it, honestly. Yeah, and it might be one of those things, though, too, that it might be um, their gut said PSG, but their mind said uh, Bayern Munich, and maybe they went with their gut. Um, yeah, but th- th- that I thought was a little bit 
little bit odd, a little bit surprising, especially with the, the debate and it being a draw. I think it was five to five in the final score of the, of the debate. And then they went kind of all in on, on PSG. But uh, other than that, Kartik, um, it's interesting watching these matches because it's almost surreal. It, it, it almost seems normal now. You mean that we're watching games with no fans in the stadium, usually top in the, the bottom uh, kind of lower tier of, of the stadium. And with the crowd noise piped in, and it almost feels natural now to watch these games these way uh, this way. Uh, we've been we've been doing it for four months. It's pretty consistent, um, and it's one of those things that the the crowd noise that the way they've they've done it for the Champions League and the Europa League. I think it was at the right level. Uh, it wasn't obnoxious. It wasn't too quiet. It, it was you could definitely hear it. And but it's one of those things that now, for me at least, when I'm watching games, especially. Champions League and Europa League, it just feels natural, which which is completely unnatural. It seems really strange to say that. Um, however, <laughs> when you watch Major League Soccer, as I did this past uh, weekend, and you watch the El Trafico, LAFC against LA Galaxy, um, the noise levels and the crowd noise uh, are, are pumped up so much that it feels fake and fabricated. Of course, all of it's fake and fabricated, but too much so and um i'm not sure if you saw this game contact but it was very this was a uh a 6 p.m eastern time kickoff uh but 3 p.m eastern uh 3 3 p.m 3 p.m pacific on the west coast and a lot of people blamed the the weather on this game in terms of the heat um but it was a very stop start stop start game uh, it was really a lot of fouling uh, a lot of head injuries a lot of stoppages uh water breaks I mean, the first half was uh, actually the LA Times called it unwatchable. I, I didn't think it was that bad, but it wasn't a good look for Major League Soccer. And um, we'll get to the TV ratings a little bit later. But the one thing I do want to add, though, is that I'm not sure how long John Strong has been doing this in terms of uh, doing commercials in a game, but it sounds so cheap. It sounds so. Uh, no offense, Kartik, but it sounds like second division or lower level U.S. soccer. Um, like, for example, so in this game, every single time an ad appeared on the screen in the bottom left-hand corner, John Strong uh, had to read out, like, for example, MLS on Fox is sponsored by AT&T 5G. And it just sounds like he's a salesperson. It doesn't sound like he's an actual commentator. And I, I just thought that that cheapens the broadcast and, and makes it makes it look lower level um i understand the the reasons for doing things like that but i just think that overall it was um not the type of uh top level national broadcast things that that uh, i would expect from from a, as a, a broadcast. someone who yeah someone who uh has done a number of uh, I, I can't even count how many lower division u.s uh games in the u.s as a, as a commentator or a co-commentator i've had those reads uh someone in my ear forcing those reads and and it and it is to be honest with you, I'm not very natural with it either. It's very forced when, I, when I've done it in the past. So I can kind of empathize with John Strong on that. He also comes from a lower division background, by the way. He was the Timbers broadcaster when they were in USL. Uh, but yeah, I, I, on a national broadcast, especially on a network broadcast uh, over the air Fox, that's, that's kind of cheesy, to be honest with you. All right, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Yeah, so this week, this Sunday, we will see uh, on SportsCenter an SC-featured presentation, uh, a, a, a long-form piece by Sam Borden, uh, 
on Gio Reyna. And this is part of uh, ESPN's new Bundesliga package and leading into the season with this. Uh, I uh, got an opportunity, thanks to ESPN, to uh, to preview this piece before it goes live uh, on, on Sunday morning. And it's outstanding. You learn a lot about the Reyna family, about Gio's relationship with his parents, who were both... Uh, Star players who both played for their respective U.S. teams, men's on uh, the dad's side, women's on the uh, on the, on the mother's side, and then uh, his relationship with his brother who passed away tragically. I think most people who are fans of U.S. soccer know about that. And then also importantly for Bundesliga fans and fans of European football, uh, how he ended up in Dortmund, the thoughts of of uh, Dortmund's brass about him, and uh, and also uh, some of the other Dortmund players. So it's a really cool feature. It's something we don't get a lot on Sports Center uh, uh, with soccer. And now that uh, ESPN's broadcasting the Bundesliga, maybe uh, this will be more than a one-off. Let's hope so. But uh, definitely worth watching. I, I would uh, advise the, the listeners to tune in Sunday morning or set your DVR. All right, Kartik. So for somebody like myself, who uh, the only reason I'll watch ESPN is for soccer coverage. I'm not tuning in for Sports Center. I mean, it's very rare that I'll, I'll see a Sports Center. But how much of a big deal is this for this uh, feature to be on Sports Center? It's a really big deal, and this is something that has frustrated me through the years that ESPN has uh, X amount of soccer broadcasts. Right now it's more than it's been in the last uh, five or six years, but at one time they had they had all the leagues and Champions League also and would be very uh, reluctant, and I, I understand SportsCenter has a different editorial focus than – the uh, the broadcast side, the media the the, the media rights side of ESPN, but to me it was always very frustrating that they'd show f- soccer match after soccer match on their network, and then their their flagship shows they would hardly ever uh, speak about the sport except if there was something notable that happened, you know, like Messi wanting a transfer, right? That's no no surprise that they brought Taylor Twellman on uh, on Sports Center on whatever night it was that this happened on Tuesday night to. Uh, to break that down, but uh, that they've done, but they have never the kind of long form human interest stories they do about other sports. Uh, they uh, generally have not done about soccer at the same quantity. The only place we would get them were on Outside the Lines, which was hosted by Bob Lee, who was a, a soccer guy. Uh, and, and since Bob Lee retired from ESPN, it's been even uh, uh, further and f- farther between. So I, this is a very, very big deal. I, I know it's an easier one for them because it is a U.S. player, uh, a U.S. national team player with pedigree, family pedigree. So it may be made for an easier feature for them to, to, to put on. But I think think it is a big deal and hopefully since they've got the Bundesliga rights they also have the Serie A rights uh, they uh, will continue to do this and and talk about Americans uh, in Europe if that's if that's the angle or other human interest stories related to those leagues obviously this week we have uh, apparently the news that Weston McKinney is going to go to Juventus uh, at least for a season on loan so that gives them more impetus to cover Americans in in Serie A as well. Yeah, one more thing about this too is that uh, when the Bundesliga and ESPN agreed the deal to um, move from Fox to go to ESPN Plus for uh, the vast majority of the games for the Bundesliga, one of the reasons they mentioned, one of the things they focused in on was the ability for ESPN to do features to do uh, additional programming, to do original programming. And here's a perfect perfect example of that. Um, the season for the Bundesliga doesn't begin until Friday, September 18th. So we're 
two weeks away or three weeks away from um, the actual league kicking off. But already this weekend, we're seeing Sports Center, which is a big deal, like you said, Kartik, uh, to have a feature about uh, Giorena and uh, the Bundesliga on a massive, uh, the most popular sports TV show in the United States. So it just shows the level of commitment and shows how much of a difference it is uh, compared to the previous uh, uh, broadcaster. So first uh, first impressions are definitely very positive. So again, we'll have a story. Actually, Kartik, you've written the story. I have have to edit it today uh, and publish that at worldsoccertalk.com that gives uh, also a little additional preview of um, this week's coverage. Yeah, so this is this is just to follow up on your point uh, before we move on. This is an additional reason why ESPN, I think, is going to be favored by European leagues over Fox in the future. If Fox is even interested in these uh, um, in, in in these leagues anymore, maybe they're not. But it, it seems to me pretty obvious that you, Fox will, will just throw game matches on. I mean, and it was the same thing when they had the Premier League. To be honest with you, they had a lot of um, these these original shows of broadcast from LA on Fox Soccer Channel, but they never built anything into uh, their their larger kind of Fox portfolio related to uh, those leagues. And then obviously Bundesliga is in the FS1 and FS2 era. Nothing beyond that. And MLS, there's no MLS magazine program or M- MLS. Uh, features that are done outside of soccer broadcast windows on FS1 and FS2. So th- this uh, is a big uh, inducement for leagues to, to, to hook up with ESPN. I, I think that this this kind of highlights what uh, the advantages of, our, of ESPN beyond just broadcast windows for matches are. All right, Kartik, in the next uh, news item, it's uh, big news. We have the exclusive to this one is that ABC, uh, speaking of uh, ESPN, but ABC, the uh, over-the-air network in the United States, is going to televise two very important UEFA Nations League games uh, in early September. These two games, it's going to be, it's going to be a doubleheader. Uh, the first game is Iceland against England, and the second game is uh, Portugal against Croatia. And uh, this is part of um, ABC and ESPN's major plans for the UEFA competitions. Uh, we've got more details at worldsoccertalk.com as far as kind of uh, wh- why why this is such an important part of uh, their plans. But a lot of it, too, is to go ahead and promote uh, next summer's coverage of Euro 2020, even though it'll be uh, 2021, the summer. They're still keeping the Euro 2020 uh, name. And this is a big deal, Kartik. This is... Uh, a big deal because it's on a typical – it's on a Saturday, I think it's September 5th, on a day typically, Kartik, where you'd have college football. There'd be no room for soccer on, on U.S. television. But uh, as you know, especially in terms of college football, a lot of the games not being played or scheduled, uh, here's an opportunity for soccer to slide in and perhaps maybe get some big numbers. Do you imagine these games doing well? Uh, they probably will do okay. The England game, particularly England Iceland, because I think you're talking about um, a uh, uh, a broadcast window which normally would be college football. Uh, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are not playing, and those are uh, those are conferences that are that are on ABC that show their matches on ABC. They will not have SEC games on ABC until next year, so they're down to the Big 12 and ACC among leagues that are playing. So this is uh, um, or that apparently will play. I mean, who knows? What's going to happen as, as 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 we actually kick off the college football season? Portugal, Croatia, uh, 
would would in theory be a bigger match, right? Because that that's the uh, the Euro champions and nation league. Nations League winners against a World Cup finalist. However, I think uh, Iceland, England, and also the, the the specter of talking about what happened in Euro 2016 uh, will probably get bigger ratings. Now, what will be interesting is if uh, fans find these matches on ABC. It's been so long since there has been a a uh, match broadcast on ABC over the year. I want to say World Cup 2014 was the last one. Um, oh, was it 2010? I'm not sure. Yeah, it was the England-USA game. Well, I think the final in 2014 was on uh, Germany-Argentina Germany, was on ABC. Okay. Uh, but I don't think there's been a match on ABC. Euro 2016, they didn't show any matches on ABC. And uh, obviously, we, as you mentioned, we were they were going to for Euro 2020 and will for Euro 2020 in 2021, as well as a, a maybe, again, MLS will get those matches that they were going to get as part of uh, the lead-in for the Euros or, 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 or the after the Euros. Uh, but uh, this hopefully fans will find this. It's been a long time since there was soccer on ABC. Those of us of, uh, of a certain age, a certain vintage, like you and I, Chris, are used to watching soccer on ABC for years. Uh, you saw lots of U.S. men's national team matches, MLS matches, and other matches moved to ABC by ESPN. As time has gone on and uh, uh, ESPN has uh, 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 kind of changed, uh, the, the, the sports division has changed its focus and you know, ABC sports division disappeared, right, and was replaced by uh, ESPN on ABC. There have been less and less soccer matches on ABC. In fact, I do not think ABC has broadcast an MLS game since 2008, I want to say. And that was going to change this year, uh, so now maybe it'll change next year. Yeah, that, that's one of the things about this, too, is that uh, in 2020, the original plans was <clears throat> for um, <clears throat> uh, 10 Major League Soccer games to be on ABC uh, this year. And because of the season the way that it is, uh, it's unlikely that maybe a, a couple of them, maybe later in the season, uh, will be were shown on ABC, but nothing planned yet. And uh, it, this is a way for you know, Iceland and England and Portugal and Croatia to really kind of uh, take a couple of those uh, slots and use them for ABC. What, what I'm interested in in this one, Kartik, is that you got four hours of coverage, maybe a little bit more with uh, some, some post-match or, or a little bit more of pre-match. But here's an opportunity for ABC and ES, ESPN, really, to, um, to see how their coverage is in comparison now that we know that what CBS sports are capable of. Uh, will ABC, ESPN raise the bar? Will they bring in a surprise uh, guest? Will they do something different with the studio? Will they add um, some more high-level analysis? That that's what I'm interested in too, as well as the games. Of course, I'll watch those, but I'm interested to see how e ABC and ESPN how they will react. Will they do anything different in this broadcast? Because it, it's a huge opportunity for them. Moving on to uh, the next news item, and that is that uh, if you want to watch the Champions League qualification games and actually also the Europa League qualification qualification games, uh, many of them will appear on Bleacher Report. So th this is a little bit different um, in previous years. Um, so for this, se so in previous years we've had games on. I think uh, we were talking uh, before this uh, podcast, Kartik. You mentioned Fox Sports, like Fox Soccer Channel had some of the games. What was the the, the, the few Gold that you remember? TV had them. I yeah. think at one year when when the main tournament was on Fox, and then BN has had uh, playing games, right, qualifying games as well at various points. 
Yeah, and also, yeah, exactly. And I think some of them have been on ESPN three in the past too. It's like yeah, every yeah. every single summer they always kind of appear in different uh, different places. Well, this summer it looks like that uh, not all of them, but many of them will appear on uh, BR Live or on Bleacher Report. And um, these rights to these individual games are sold on, on an individual basis. So if Bleacher Report and BR Live, like they did this week. They picked up uh, the Celtic uh, Champions League qualification game, I think, on Wednesday. And then they streamed that for free across across uh, BleacherReport.com, the actual website. Uh, Celtic, unfortunately, lost that game. So they're out of the qualification. They're out of the, out of the Champions League. But that's just one example. Another example is that um, Tottenham Hotspur. Spurs are go- going to have to go through a Europa League qualification uh, process to try to get to the group stage of the Europa League. Well, those games, uh, it looks like they will appear on BR Live also. Um, nothing officially confirmed yet, but it looks very likely, uh, so on and so forth. So so that's the place to check. Also, I mean, worldsoccertalk.com on our TV schedule pages. Uh, as soon as we find out details about any of the games, any of the qualification games, uh, we'll put them there. Not every single qualifica- qualification game is going to be available, but um, and some of them might be available elsewhere too. It's just one of those things. It's not included in the, the rights package that, uh, say, CBS Sports would, would acquire for the Champions League, Champions League and Europa League. That begins their coverage begins at the group stage, which begins this year in in October. All right, Kartik, one more news item, and this is something that uh, is going to be one to keep an eye on. Two weeks from now, the Premier League will return for the 2020-21 season. But a major issue is brewing, and that is with Peacock. So with 46% of the games this season exclusive to to Peacock, the new streaming service, the cause for concern is that Peacock is still not available on Roku or Amazon Fire TV devices, uh, I don't know about you, Kartik, but I've got a Amazon Fire TV stick and a Roku stick, and there's no Peacock on there. So for a lot of soccer fans, it means that it'll be more difficult uh, to watch games on your smart TV. And what's happening is is that uh, Peacock has been in negotiations with Amazon and Roku to get their app on those devices, but agreements uh, have still not been reached uh, even HBO Max, who debuted uh, earlier this year, uh, have been uh, unable to get added to the Amazon TV Fire Stick and Roku. And they've been negotiating, trying to get on there since May. So don't forget that the, the parent company of NBC Sports and Peacock is Comcast Xfinity. So what it comes down to is a standoff between media and tech giants. You've got Comcast against Amazon, Comcast against Roku, and it's we, the consumers. We're the ones that are stuck in the middle of this because uh, if you're a supporter of a Premier League club and you want to watch um, one of your games and you want to watch on your, on your TV set, it's more difficult. It's, it's much easier to if you have the Peacock app on Roku or on Amazon Fire TV or whatever device you use, it's so much easier to do that. Now, if you're a Comcast Xfinity customer, you already have Peacock, and it's available for free. So no problem there. But uh, for everyone else, uh, you might have to jump through some hoops. Some of those hoops are, uh, I guess, with the season beginning September 12th, and we don't know the schedule yet. Uh, it hasn't been officially confirmed um, which games will be on Peacock. But a couple of workarounds will be, if it's not available on Roku or Amazon Fire TV Stick, 
um, or Amazon Fire TV is that you can watch the games online. So you can watch them on PeacockTV.com and then cast those games to your smart TV set if you wanted to with Chromecast or, or AirPlay. Um, or you can just watch it on your, on your desktop or a browser or a phone. So not, not the perfect solution by any means, but uh, it's one to keep an eye on. And a lot of this comes down to really is um, Amazon saying like, hey, okay, yeah, Peacock, you want to have your app on uh, our Amazon um, uh, platform? It's going to cost you. I mean, what, what can we uh, let, let's talk? Let's talk money. Let's talk about. I mean, it's in Amazon's interest to go ahead and uh, promote Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime Video, a lot of these uh, movies and shows and, and sports too. Don't forget, Amazon's getting into sports big time. Is to promote their services where they make more money rather than to say, "Okay, we'll put Peacock on, on there." And they'll end up making very little money, if any money, fr- from that. So anyway, that's one to keep an eye on. Um, Peacock versus Amazon versus Roku. Yeah, and you don't have the option of buying NBC Sports Gold anymore to uh, to supplement your Premier League package. You're, you're stuck yeah. going via Peacock. So uh, Peacock is available to everybody on uh, your iOS devices. So that might be what people have to do if they, if they uh, don't have another option because of Roku and a- Amazon uh, Fire Stick. So that's uh, uh, un- unfortunate, uh, not surprising. I mean, if you look at the Peacock library, Chris, a lot of that stuff is competitive with Amazon's Prime Video. Yeah. Uh, they are competing products. So uh, this gets into, I don't want to get too deep into this, but this gets into antitrust issues potentially and whether Congress would look at this, look unfavorably upon Amazon stonewalling. I'm sure Comcast uh, is lobbyists or working the phones as we speak on that. Uh, so uh, to be, yeah, just keep an eye on this. This is, this is fascinating stuff from so many levels. Yeah, I've, I've gotten a lot of mail this week too from listeners and um, a couple of people said like, well, why can't just NBC Sports say, you know what, we'll put the those games, those Premier League games on NBC Sports app, and just let, let them let them find it there. But the problem with that is that it um, it uh, gives more leverage to Amazon and to Roku. It diminishes uh, NBC's power in the ne- negotiations. Yeah. Uh, and the second thing, it also uh, diminishes Peacock, the value of Peacock. They want everyone to go to Peacock. Peacock is the future of NBC and NBC Sports. That's the direction they're heading in. And uh, and also, in some ways, kind of the future of Comcast Xfinity. It's a big deal for them. It's priority number one across Comcast, NBC, uh, NBC Sports, etc. So there's a lot of... Uh, I mean, that's the thing, too. You would imagine that HBO, because they're kind of ahead of the pack, HBO Max might get on added on to Amazon or, or Roku. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. But then you've got also the peacock. So it comes down to money. It comes down to power. It comes down to, like you said, Kartik, um, some issues. It, it's a gatekeeper, right? It's uh, Amazon having the Amazon Fire uh, stick or, or device is in so many homes in this country. But uh, it's a distribution problem. What it comes down to is Amazon controls that and says, okay, hey, no, no peacock. We're, we're not adding it on there unless whatever the demands are. Uh, it almost feels like being sports, Kartik, with being sports saying like, hey, we want to get on to added to Comcast. We want to get added to back on DirecTV and DirecTV and Comcast says, no, no, it's not going to happen unless you're willing to pay X amount of dollars, whatever that may be. Um, 
it's a big issue. And uh, so there are ways to get around it, like we've mentioned already. We'll be covering this in more detail. We're actually, I'm actually working on a uh, Peacock FAQ that, that answers some of these questions, but goes into a lot of uh, analysis and answers to things like replays, reruns, highlights, uh, what's available, shoulder programming. Uh, it's a lot of information. So I've actually been working on this for the last two weeks, um, speaking to NBC Sports uh, and also doing some research. And um, I'll have this hopefully on, on worldsoccertalk.com in the next couple of days or so. But yeah, it's a big issue. All right, moving on to TV ratings, Kartik. Uh, we don't have a lot of numbers to go through because there are not a lot of games on television <laughs> anymore. Speaking of streaming, almost everything is going uh, online. But what we do have is the Champions League final. And uh, this one was on television. It was on CBS Sports Network. But uh, that one isn't rated by Nielsen. So we don't know what that viewing number was for that game. I'm sure it was large. How large, we don't know. Uh, but on the Spanish language side, Univision and Tuduene had the broadcast of the game. Uh, Tuduene doing a simulcast of the Univision broadcast. This one had two million viewers, and I, I, I'm impressed by that, Kartik. This is a game, uh, PSG, I mean French champions against Bayern Munich, German champions. Uh, yes, Neymar's involved, so Neymar's uh, definitely a, a huge factor here, but. Um, it wasn't Real Madrid. It wasn't Barcelona. Yeah. You mean, this is yeah. some big, big numbers from uh, Univision. I, I'm actually shocked by it because I, I thought maybe PSG has a little bit of a, of, of a cachet because of Neymar in particular uh, and obviously some other uh, Latin players, Di Maria, Marquinhos, etc. South American players, I should say. But uh, I, I was surprised still because it wasn't Real Madrid. It wasn't Barcelona. And uh, Bayern don't necessarily have the most attractive names for, for a South American or, or American Latino audience, but uh, they are still a brand name, right? And I think uh, if you talk to most uh, soccer fans, uh, Spanish-speaking soccer fans, Bayern is one of the first five or six clubs they'd mention, right, as, as, as giant clubs. PSG may not be on that list. So that um, those two factors uh, added up and a Sunday afternoon, right, which is a great time for uh, – for for, uh, for placement of this, uh, that won't be the case in the future. It'll be on a Saturday. Uh, we assume, right? Uh, we, who knows? This format has intrigued uh, UEFA enough that maybe they're going to tweak it a little bit uh, in, in terms of the knockout stages going forward. But uh, just a hugely impressive number, a number that blew me away. So, Kartik, in the past, I'd say probably about 10 years, I've, I've been writing quite a bit. Um, you have at times too, but we've been talking about Major League Soccer, TV ratings, for about 10 years, and in the last 12 months or so, I've pretty much dropped it because it started to become very repetitive. Um, during the last 10 years, we, we had pointed out different things as far as uh, areas of improvement, ways that they could increase TV ratings. We've talked about this endlessly on, on the podcast about uh, things that they can improve on, things that they should focus on that's going to create a, a national appetite for Major League Soccer games in this country. And from this past weekend, Kartik, these are probably some of the probably some of the lowest MLS TV ratings in a, many many years. I, I I could have gone back and didn't done the research and compared it and come up with all the numbers, but it's almost hopeless at this point because I mean, what does that prove? I mean, we know that MLS TV ratings are bad. Uh, I think everybody else is catching on to that. In the past week, I'm not sure if you caught it, but the Guardian had a story about uh, MLS TV ratings. Uh, I think Yahoo Sports had had a big feature. The Athletic had a, had a story too. 
Um, a lot of them were kind of uh, sourcing World Soccer Talk uh, numbers in terms of um, you mean their viewpoints and their opinion, opinions about what's happening. But this is something we've been talking about for years. So to hone in a little bit closer into this one, so we we had the El Trafico, which is uh, when MLS is looking at the at the schedule and looking for the uh, the return of Major League Soccer after MLS is back. They're looking at the, the the schedule and saying, okay, what games can we schedule that are going to be guaranteed big big office numbers? I mean, big uh, viewing numbers, and at the same time, trying to figure out, okay, which teams are uh, located near each other, uh, so that uh, in terms of travel, making it as safe as possible. So, prime time Fox uh, over the air. Well, primetime is 6 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. LAFC against LA Galaxy, El Trafico, one of the biggest games in the season for Major League Soccer. This one on Fox, 376,000 viewers. Uh, it was it was also on Fox Deportes. Fox Deportes didn't do uh, well either, 64,000 people. So uh, adding those two together, it's about what about 420 or 430,000 people watched this game. That's abysmal. Yeah. I mean, that that is awesome. absolutely awful. Now, now, in fairness, Chris, I should point this out. Um, not in fairness, this is a real concern. Uh, so you mentioned the Orlando-Miami game, which takes place 15 minutes from my house, right? And, and uh, I did not know that match was going on until I was on Twitter like an hour into the match, right? Uh, that El Trafico, I guess, I vaguely knew was going to be on Fox, but didn't realize it until after the fact, so I didn't watch it. Uh, part of it is my own attitude towards MLS restarting. I was such a fan of the MLS's back tournament, but restarting in the midst of COVID, allowing limited fans based on, quote, local authorities' guidance, which I think is a complete cop-out and abdication of, uh, uh, of any sort of leadership. So maybe there are enough of the, of the people who would normally watch MLS games on national television, myself included, the 10 or 15% that we've seen lobbed off now, or people like me saying, ah, they're playing during COVID, uh, they're playing at odd times, I'm not even going to bother. So that could be a factor in this, because we, we've we've seen just the diminishing ratings even at the end of the MLS's back tournament. Yeah, but at the same time, though, Kartik, we've, we've looked at the numbers for Europa League games and for Champions League games. And some of these games, are not, not just the final, but but the semifinals, the quarterfinals, uh, some of these other games have been shown. I mean, most of the major games have been shown on... Um, CBS Network, we don't have those numbers, but looking at the numbers from the last two to three weeks, numbers have been good across the board. Well, no, no, I'm saying, I'm saying that there's a distaste for MLS specifically during COVID because they've gone ahead and made the decision to play in home venues. Yeah, uh, when they were not, when they, it appeared like they were going in a completely different direction, a very responsible direction, as opposed to Major League Baseball, as opposed to USL. Then they abruptly reversed themselves. Even having a the, the first. Dallas Nashville match was the day after the MLS's back final. But Kartik, uh, I, the bubble. I, I, so I think there's there are enough fans. Maybe it's only ten percent of the people who would have watched otherwise. But the numbers are so low to begin with. You lob ten percent off that are that are unhappy with this arrangement, and it looks even worse. But I think there's a distaste for Major League Soccer even before that, though, Kartik. Because no, I'm not denying that. I'm not denying. No, no. That. I'm saying the reason why right. there's a, a, a cut even, even from that low number is because of this. Is my my yeah. theory. Yeah, which which is, I'm sure there's there's definitely people that definitely did not tune in to these broadcasts because of the, the decision to move on. There's probably some people that tuned in to watch this because they did move on. But I mean, even though the MLS is back, which was to me 
one of the best things that Major League Soccer has done in the last decade. It was it, it, they did a really really good job of uh, managing and controlling something that was very difficult uh, to put on an event like this. And, and those TV numbers w- were poor. Um, they were like what averaging about two hundred and forty thousand pe- uh, people per game. And these are games are on primetime ESPN with nothing else on. There was no yeah. other sports going on. So. It tells me that there's zero interest among. I mean, these are numbers are the same numbers we would get during a regular uh, season, MLS season, when there's you mean basketball on, when there's baseball on, when there's NFL football on. Um, it it tells me that there's no interest outside of the hardcore MLS fans uh, beyond that. And now, since then, so the, another number from this past weekend was Portland against Seattle which is guaranteed always to be a big number. Um, this was on FS1. This was on Sunday night. 158,000 people tuned into that to watch that. I mean, more people would watch, I don't know, Burnley against West Ham or Burnley against Norwich. I mean, no offense to any of those teams. I mean, they've got proud histories, but but they don't have a massive fan base. But more people would watch a game like that than they would watch a, uh, you mean, a Cascadia derby on, on, a, on a Sunday night on FS1. Um Fox is an issue too. I mean, that that's something we've talked about in the past. But again, Major League Soccer is not really addressing this. They're, I think, hoping, thinking, looking at these numbers and probably, I don't know if they're throwing up their arms saying like, what do we do? I mean, we have the answers. And, and uh, this leads me into the next question, Kartik, which I'm not sure if there's much of a debate here, but for MLS in the future, should MLS try to appeal to soccer fans or should they try to appeal to American sports fans? What do you think? Um, I don't think either is working right now. I mean, I think they should try and appeal to soccer fans, but maybe there's too much snobbery among soccer fans, uh, European soccer fans, to truly embrace MLS at any point. In spite of the fact that we give all these theories, oh, if MLS improved their play, if they had pro-rel, I don't know that it would ever happen. I think there's just a condescending attitude between uh, uh, um, uh, among a lot of Europhiles in this country towards anything that's American, even American players when they go to Europe. Uh, so that I, I'm not sure that works. And then the casual sports fan, forget it. We've seen uh, more, 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 more overtly than in, in – read the recent past the hostility towards soccer in the mainstream press in the mainstream sporting press the last three to four months so i don't know there's no easy answers it's uh Mm -hmm. i don't know how they get out of this honestly and the numbers are um given the level of expansion in the league the, the, the the size of the tv markets they've moved into the ratings right now are probably as bad as they've ever been if you think about it in that in that manner which is uh, for a long time when we would bag the ratings, they weren't in big markets like Philadelphia. They had left the Miami market. They weren't in Atlanta. So now they're in all of these, every top uh, 20 market with the exception of Detroit, I think they're in, and Tampa Bay. Those are the two exception market exceptions in the top 20. And uh, the numbers are not reflective of, of, of that, right? And so on, on a national scale, they build no context in – I, I think maybe that where they really need to do something is they have built no relevance in why non-fans uh, of a team but are fans of another MLS team would watch a random match. Maybe yeah. that's what they need to address. Well, that that's their biggest problem right there, Kartik. You, you're absolutely right. Is that uh, why should I watch a Colorado against Real Salt Lake game? What What is there of interest to me? How many players do I know on, on that I can name on, on both teams? Um, what's the history of those the, the rivalry between those teams? 
what's the context? I mean, why should I watch that unless it's a, a playoff game? What if it's a playoff game? Yeah, it has more importance because again, the winner of that it has relevance. I mean, whoever wins that game moves on to the next stage. They'll play you know, Toronto, whoever it may be. But yeah, th- there's a, a long list of issues. I think for. In many ways, Kartik, this is the worst possible nightmare scenario that MLS would have going into the next TV rights uh, auction, which is going to start next year for the, for the season 2023 onwards, probably to the 2026 World Cup or maybe p- perhaps even beyond that. The only saving grace in all of this, and it's, it's been the same saving grace historically, has been that the rights to Major League Soccer have been tied with the U.S. men's national team, and with the morale among supporters at an all-time low for the U.S. men's national team, although there are some promising players coming through the system, so we have some better, brighter hope, um, it's really down to the U.S. women's national team. The rights to them as a marketable um, product, in quotation marks, is, I would say, just as great, if not greater, than the men's uh, side of things. Uh, that's the future. So with MLS, I mean, combining the rights with um, U.S. soccer, it elevates that price. It elevates the value of those rights when you have all those three things together. Together, separate. Keep that separate. It's 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 not much. It's not worth much money at all. It's, there's not much demand there. Uh, the numbers are poor. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed. Um, there's a lot of issues, massive issues. But but we'll get into some of that a little bit later too in the listener mailbag uh, with one player in particular. First up in the mailbag is JP. He says, regarding your discussion about the media companies using soccer rights to bring in subscribers to their streaming platforms, I hate this trend. Streaming may be the way our entertainment is going to be delivered, but honestly... Uh, now hope the eventual streaming model becomes something more akin to cable. All the options on one service and switching among live content easy as changing our channel. Then the library of on-demand offerings similar to uh, video on demand on cable now. Instead of simply switching from NBCSN to FS1 if following a Premier League and Bundesliga game at the same time, now I may need to exit Peacock, open ESPN+, maybe log in, find the match, wait until it loads, and then wait some more. Usually I only have these conflicts with Serie A and La Liga, and I just keep my cable on BN and switch the HDMI input uh, as the way of changing the channel to keep track of them both. But if both were on separate streaming options, or even both on the same, exiting one match to find another is more time consuming and a bit annoying don't think i'd watch as much soccer first world problem yes but still an annoyance i foresee my bundesliga viewing plummeting this upcoming season wish they'd keep matches on linear tv and have the overflow and streaming for for free with cable authentication and the linear tv match available on streaming for the streaming subscribers this is the most equitable way to handle it uh, this is a pretty legitimate concern. I don't know where I come down on it yet because I have a, a habit with uh, uh, Bundesliga matches on FS1 and FS2 uh, concurrent to Premier League matches on NBCSN and NBC to to be able to just flip within my uh, my satellite system, within DirecTV. Now I'm going to have to go off my satellite to go to the Bundesliga match on ESPN Plus and find the, the, the match I, in theory, I say I'll do it, 
uh, but it could be very complicated. So I can kind of empathize with this. And then I, I've also had, as listeners know, and they gave, gave some suggestions. Thank you for that. Some issues even watching the championship and, and saying, hey, I'm watching Brentford, but I want to watch West Brom. What do I do, uh, et cetera. I, I've had that with Serie A at times too. So it's not as uh, straightforward as you'd like, particularly when you're watching. And I, I will admit, I will admit, whenever I've had these problems, it's been because I've been watching generally the Premier League or Bundesliga. And Bundesliga will be off linear TV, but uh, Premier League or Bundesliga on linear TV, and I've wanted to switch to the Serie A or, uh, or uh, championship match on ESPN+. Yeah, we're in that uh, in-between stage because we're in between the linear cable world, satellite world, and we're moving towards... Uh, the streaming world. So if you think about watching soccer on television, how many games are actually on television? How many leagues are on television these days? Uh, for the most part, you mean Champions I mean, I guess it'd be Liga MX. It would be the World Cup. It would be Major League Soccer, partly. Uh, the Premier League. And even that, too, the next TV deal that comes up uh, in the next couple of years, which is going to be transformative in many ways, you might find that MLS is now going to be mostly streaming. We already have ESPN Plus having most of the games. Uh, we've got uh, a Bleacher Report, who's really interested in acquiring rights to Major League Soccer. Um, so it's possible that the majority of MLS games in the next cycle will be on streaming. The Premier League already, right this moment... 46% of those games are exclusive to streaming. Uh, it's very likely that the next deal would be even more than that. So greater than 50%, maybe even higher than that. It's quite possible that a Amazon might come along and say, hey, we'll gobble up all of, we'll, we'll acquire the rights to the Premier League. The place to go to watch uh, the Premier League is going to be on Amazon from 2023 onwards. So that's quite possible. Uh, or somebody else. So what we're moving to really is um, Liga MX, which I think will be will be kind of one of the, the last ones on television for a good reason, because that uh, audience really, I mean, those numbers are huge. Um, that's the way that Univision, I mean, in addition to, to soaps and other programming, that's that's their cash cow. Uh, you, you look at the World Cup being a TV uh, destination, that's likely to continue too with some you know, massive numbers uh, tuning in to watch Fox uh, or, uh, or Telemundo. So that's about it. I mean, I think so. We're we're heading towards that uh, streaming only for the mo for the most part. And even within Amazon, even within the Amazon Fire, it has a in the the navigation at the top. There's one that says I think live or live or live TV. And if you go to that, it has all of your live apps in one central area. Um, I read some some place this week that Google is working on something similar to where they're aggregating all of the different uh, streaming services and apps into one central area so that you don't have to keep on switching. Uh, the switch would be a little bit more seamless. I think Apple TV has something similar too. So that's where we're moving to is to make it as easy as changing the channel like we used to. We're not there yet. And that's why we're in that in-between stage where the technology hasn't caught up yet to make that possible. I think it will happen at some point. How? Um, we're not sure. We'll let the tech companies figure that out. But that's that's the way things are heading. Next up is Rico Richardson. Uh, Rico says, uh, people, you cannot expect everyone in Major League Soccer to be on national TV. There is a reason why some teams are on more than others, because they're a, they're a good team or have a large fan base. And and just as usual, Kartik, I think almost, I wouldn't say almost everything, but a lot of the things that uh, Rico 
mentions I always disagree with, um, which is good, though, too. It's definitely a good debate. What we see on national television with uh, Major League Soccer is it's not always the good teams. I mean, a lot of the times it's the New York teams. Yeah, the New York Red Bulls are doing better now than they've done for a while. But uh, oftentimes it's NYCFC against... uh, I don't know, LA Galaxy and LA Galaxy yeah. are doing pretty poorly. I mean, they beat LAFC in that in the the derby last week, but um, oftentimes it's the the big TV markets that are shown. It's not it's not the good teams. It's not the uh, the large fan bases. NYCFC doesn't have a large fan base. Um, I disagree. It's usually the the big TV markets. And, and I mean, if you're San, I mean, uh, San Jose is probably a good example, right, of a team that's a great team to watch, exciting to watch. Um, but they're hardly ever on television. Yeah, even though they're in one of the largest TV markets in the country, ironically enough, but uh, they just don't have that market penetration right there. Uh, they're in a secondary city in that market. The uh, uh, New York City FC has been pretty good the last few years, but they still have not been the elite team in the league. Although I think they uh, were they the number one team in the Eastern Conference one time, maybe. Um, and obviously the Red Bulls have been uh, have won a couple supporters' shields now. But yeah, they tend to they tend to show more big market teams. I think is is the bottom line, and that's uh, uh, that's something that I've argued back and forth with people about for years. Now they've kind of tweaked it, and they show more Portland and Seattle. But I remember in in, in 2012, I would argue with people that it seems like they show either Red Bull or or the Galaxy every week. And if you want people to actually be attracted to MLS, you need some crowd ambiance. You need something uh, that, that 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 hooks to viewers. And to me, that's that's Portland, uh, and now maybe Atlanta. Right. Mm-hmm. In terms of uh, of atmospheres. And that's that's what's going to be the different differentiator when your football isn't as good as as uh, it in Europe or and your entertainment level isn't as good as other uh, American professional sports. So, uh, yeah, I think that that they've made some bad decisions as far as that's concerned. Yeah. And going back to that TV rings uh, segment just a, m- a moment ago is that uh, in the past, LAFC against LA Galaxy and Portland against Seattle would have been guaranteed big numbers no matter what. Now that doesn't that that's not holding holding to be true. Um, so where do you go from here? I mean, to to me, I would go for the teams that are playing good, exciting football. You mean a, a San Jose against a Orlando? You mean or, or just again too? A lot of this is um, this would be post COVID in terms of uh, how things are going to hopefully get back to normal at some point, where you, you're going to have teams traveling from the West Coast, the East Coast, and vice versa, but. Moving into the future, I would have Major League Soccer look at what are the, the games that are going to showcase some of the more exciting. It's not not it's not always goals, but in terms of just the the, the brand of football, the way the way that the team plays. You um, I mean as opposed to the method that they've done thus far, which has been looking at the TV markets, looking for the big numbers. Those big numbers have not come in. That strategy has not worked at all. Um, and it's going to it's going to take time. I mean, a San Jose against Orlando is not going to be a big box office hit from day one. But uh, those types of teams, those types of games, uh, long term, I think would be more beneficial because if you can get the hardcore soccer fans, or even just the not even hardcore, just the, the soccer fans uh, who might be, I mean, their favorite team might be Juventus or Real, Real Madrid or Barcelona. It's not going to compare to that, but it's going to be pretty close, and it's going to be a fun game to watch rather than NYCFC against LA Galaxy, where it's it's pretty poor for the most part. No offense, <laughs> NYCFC LA Galaxy fans, but but it's true. 
All right. Next up is Bill Reese. Bill says um, it's unsurprising that no American broadcasters have purchased the rights to the Aust- Austrian Bundesliga. But is there any reason why Red Bull Salzburg could not put their games on the Red Bull OTT channel that shows many of the the other motorsports and extreme sports uh, that Red Red Bull sponsors? I imagine this channel is available for streaming around the world, and surely a club that is as successful and cosmopolitan as Salzburg could attract some interest globally. Until then, I'll have to keep up with Jesse Marsh and his boys in the Champions League. And that's a great question. Um, the answer would be that the rights would not be held by Red Bull Salzburg to the Austrian Bundesliga. So there is, it would be held by the league, and the league's probably done a deal with a um, um, like a, an agency, an agency that then is in charge of trying to market that league and trying to sell those rights uh, around the world. And and it's it's a good point too because Red Bull Salzburg, as we've seen, is just one example of, of a team that is you mean up and coming, exciting to watch. But if you want to watch those games, it's very difficult. So um, yes, in in theory. Uh, having even Salzburg games on a Red Bull OTT channel and having it available through there uh, would be fantastic, but we're not there yet. I mean, at some point in the future, perhaps, um, each individual club would be responsible for selling their own rights to um, to their games. And, and, uh, and in some ways, too, I guess we get that with iFollow in the championship and some of the football league clubs where they can go ahead and... and uh, charge a subscription cost or offer it for free if they wanted to but basically they're in charge of their own rights um but until then i don't see that happening but it's definitely a, a good point bill says i moved this week for a job promotion and my household belongings won't be here until next week so while i while i am in an empty apartment on vacation i've been watching almost 24 7 soccer on cbs all access from my laptop i have been an nbc premier league cheerleader for years but wow CBS has, has nailed it, and they look to be in, in for the long haul Long haul in the, in the States. I watched the Gunners uh, fall today, but was so impressed with a single commentator in the booth. There was one of the Euro- Europa League matches this week I watched with a single commentator and really enjoyed it. I understand the shiny, glossy two-man or three-man booth, but this sport is made for one capable commentator commentated to tell us the story of the two teams history and players as he or she does the play-by-play uh so Karthik, what about you like, like who's some of your favorite uh, solo commentators solo commentators for your steve banyard did a lot of these uh, fifa feeds and uefa feeds and feeds from from various places by himself so i'd say he would be a, a at the top of the list uh John Champion did did a number of uh, uh, matches from the football league uh, as a solo commentator, and we were used to hearing him with a co-commentator, right, with the Premier League. So that that would be one. Um, offhand, I'm sure there are a few others that I could think of if I had more time, but uh, uh, those those are the first two that come to mind. Yeah, for me, it's actually it's a good uh, question, actually, or a good um, kind of point there. Um, by Bill, because it is one of those things that uh, oftentimes it tells you the difference between an average commentator and a below average commentator, or even even a above average, is how well they do in a solo commentary commentating world. 
I'd love to hear Ola White do a solo commentating uh, game, just to, to hear that how that sounds. Is he able to work as well within those uh, confinements uh, as he does with a, a two-man team or a three-man team? Uh, for me personally, I think uh, Tony Jones is somebody I, I really uh, uh, rank highly. Um, let, me, let me think who else is there out there, commentators-wise. Um, Kevin Keatings does a great job. John Champion, you mentioned as far as when he was doing the championship games, uh, really, really good. Um, and so on and so forth. There's, there's definitely, oftentimes, FA Cup, and championship, those types of games uh, oftentimes have that single commentator. Having the three-man commentators, I'm not a fan of that. Um, when you do have a Graham Lasso, Lee Dixon, and Ola White, I don't like that strategy. And I do not like having the sideline reporter um, in the game itself where he or she is on the sideline giving some analysis or some input. Oftentimes, it's really nothing of value. Oftentimes, it's nothing. It just gets in the way of the broadcast. But uh, but yeah, definitely great point there by Bill. And, and actually, I think... Um, Bill, when he he asked me too, he said there was one game, I think it was Arsenal, who is that solo commentator? And and the answer to that question that uh, he was looking for is uh, Jonathan Pierce. And and that's another example of uh, a great voice. Oh, he's another good one. He's a very good one. Totally. David says, uh, using the Apple TV Plus app, most of the soccer channels are collected together, and Apple does a good job at providing the best resolution. No need to be hooking up computers to TVs, nor having to boot up lots of different apps. Everything is much easier to find, for example, CBS All Access uh, via Apple TV Plus versus the jungle you have to sort through on the on the CBS app. Switching from CBS to ESPN to BR Live to Peacock is all on one page. Wow, Kartik. Uh, I have an Apple TV. Yeah, that's how I do it. I, I hardly ever use it. I should bring it out of the, <laughs> out of in, the, in fact, the drawer. In fact, it's like it's the uh, – yeah, I use it. Uh, I use it a lot. Uh, and uh, CBS All Access, I've watched exclusively on Apple TV. And I think I may have mentioned that in a previous podcast, but I have not. Yeah. Well, no, actually, I guess I have watched some CBS All Access on my laptop also. But the uh, most of the games, the CBS All Access games, I was watching via Apple TV. For uh, ESPN+, Plus, I, as our listeners know from the past, uh, from, from my thing, I watch that exclusively on Apple TV as well. Yeah, uh, I- BR Live, I have not used uh, on Apple TV. Uh, Peacock, I, I suppose I will once the Premier League season starts. Yeah, and Beyond Live um, last week and this week, and I think next week, have uh, all of the Liverpool friendlies, preseason friendlies, and also Tottenham Hotspur friendlies too. So uh, lots of games coming up uh, in the next few days on there. And that goes back to JP's question about changing the channel. Is looks like David's found a great way to uh, kind of circumvent that. Next up is Andy Sorensen. Andy asks the big question, Kartik. With Messi's imminent uh, departure from Barcelona, what does this mean for being sports and La Liga in the States? If Messi moves, which is still an if, I know people are being definitive about it, but these things tend to change. Uh, if if you know, maybe even the president at, at Barcelona resigns, uh, it's a devastating blow, right? I mean, I think Ronaldo leaving really kind of uh, decimated the value of La Liga in the United States. They're on VN. They're, they're, they're just now, I think, going to really feel the effect of 
the bump that Serie A has gotten since COVID, and we, we reported a lot of those numbers being 130, 140, 150 for random Serie A uh, matches, you know, Susualo and Parma, right? Not Juventus and Inter. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's now taking a chunk out of them. Bundesliga is going to get more exposure. It appears on, on ESPN networks, even if most of those matches are on ESPN+. Plus. So uh, this is a really tough time for them, I think, from a marketing standpoint abroad. Uh, their teams are doing are being less successful in Europe, with the exception of Sevilla, again, winning Europa League, which is a big thing for La Liga, given the way Barcelona, Atleti, and Real Madrid exited the competition this year, a uh, little earlier than anticipated for all three of those sides. And in Barcelona's case, just an embarrassment. So I think... Um, that's a big uh, a big part of this. BN is in a in a lot of trouble in terms of um, their exposure. They're not getting back on cable systems. I know we talked about on this show and articles on World Soccer Talk how easy it is to get them in terms of uh, streaming. But still, uh, I, if Messi leaves, I I'm not sure where La Liga goes in in the U.S. in terms of its relevance, in terms of its visibility, and in terms of its media partnerships. Yeah, the the big question for me is, um, and and we've had this question within the comments section at worldsoccertalk.com, is how big is Barcelona? I mean, is like for example, Messi if he does leave Barcelona and joins Manchester City, for example, uh, do the fans of Messi then change clubs and say, hey, I'm no longer supporting Barcelona, I'm moving to Bar- Manchester City, I, I'm going to be supporting uh, them as my team, or does Barcelona have enough um, history? brand uh, connections to keep supporters supporting Barcelona moving forward without that player. I mean, who is bigger? Is it the club or the player? And I think uh, going back to Andy's question is that what does this mean for being sports and La Liga? It's more the same. It's more of um, less chances of uh, distribution on a direct TV or a um, Comcast. That's not going to change. That's not going to, this is not going to help, help anything at all. Um, I think La Liga will just continue beyond being being sports and not available on many channels, and people will continue watching the games, but the numbers might drop a little bit. Um, we're not gonna. I guess the big one is El Clasico, right? I mean, like just a few years ago, we would have had Ronaldo against Messi, and I mean those El Clasico numbers are still pretty strong, not as strong as they were with uh, Ronaldo and Messi. So it's more of the same, but maybe a little bit less. Next up is uh, Rob. Rob says, what happens to the NBC ratings if M- if Messi goes to Man City combined with Pulisic on Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester United fan bases, Arsenal and Spurs getting good numbers and Leeds coming in? What would happen if uh, Messi went to Man City, Kartik? I guess it would help Premier League ratings, although I don't know if there's a ceiling for the Premier League. We'll, we'll, we'll find find out. I guess there will be some La Liga fans that watch, uh, and we also know the Bielsa effect, as, as, as mentioned here, will also uh, give the Premier League a few new viewers. There are people who I know in, in uh, the Argentine community here in South Florida that are planning on watching the Premier League this year because of Leeds that have not in the past, that have actually been pretty condescending towards the league uh, in the past, it just the, the, the style of play and the quality of play when compared to Spain in their minds. Um, that's not my judgment, but their, their judgments. So, yeah, I guess it'll help. But again, I, I think there is a ceiling for club soccer ratings, which is why European club soccer, which is why that, that 2 million for PSG Bayern is so encouraging. Right, mm-hmm. we haven't seen a number like that for a European club match in recent memory in the U.S. Yeah, in English or Spanish. 
Yeah, and it's actually, uh, historically speaking, it's the, the biggest viewing number for a Champions League final. Um, and this was just on Spanish-language television. This was not Spanish-language plus English-language television. But going back to Rob's question, I think in many ways, though, too, with uh, Messi, if he did go to Man City, imagine what the, the, the Telemundo numbers are. I mean, Telemundo must be just like licking their lips right now, salivating at the prospect of Messi going to a Man City. Uh, if Messi went to, say, PSG... Would the league earn numbers increase considerably? Yes, they would increase. But, I mean, league earn, which we didn't even mention it on last week's podcast, but league earn has kicked off. It kicked off last Friday. Um, hasn't had a full schedule. Uh, and PSG's, off, uh, of course, been busy with the Champions League. But league earn is practically invisible. I mean, yes, it's a, it's actually a really entertaining league to watch. Um, it's just one of those ones that it's trying to keep track and trying to watch as many leagues as possible league on kind of always gets kind of left behind just because there's so much choice you mean you can't possibly watch everything so you have to pick and choose if you do pick and choose league on it's, it's a good league i don't think even messi going to go into PC, psg that would help them in terms of uh you mean champions league but that's not going to help Liga in the States as far as viewership. Um, it would help them in terms of maybe the next TV deal, which is probably coming up in a couple of years or so, uh, maybe getting that on a, on a bigger television station uh, other than being sports. But yeah, if he did go back to, if Messi did go to Man City, I see a bump in, in numbers for NBC, uh, definitely making it more interesting. I just see a bigger bump uh, for Telemundo. And how long that would last... Um, I, I think I think it would win over fans. There'd be fans that would be not into Premier League that would get into the Premier League because of Messi and would follow Man City and then learn more about uh, the other teams. Um, so it, it's it's not going to be a negative by any means, but I don't think it's going to be as big as people uh, would imagine it to be. Last but not least uh, on the listener mailbag, Martin McKelhey has a question. This is a really good question, Kartik. In advance, great and informative podcast as usual. Haha. Uh, quick question. I'm going to buy ESPN Plus subscription when bu- the Bundesliga kicks off in September. Is there any way I can, I can give feedback to ESPN that I am subscribing because of the Bundesliga? Or soccer coverage in general, as I will check out Serie A and other offerings. Maybe as I sign up, is there a comment box I can make um, to uh, say that the reason why I'm getting my subscription? Or is there a subscriber feedback uh, form to say uh, I have subscription or I I, I subscribe because of the Bundesliga? That's a great question. Uh, In many ways, Martin, if you didn't do anything at all, um, and I mean, so ESPN is analyzing the data big time. So when when you go onto ESPN Plus, uh, they know what you're watching. So they can see, okay, of the people who subscribed in the month of September or August, uh, what percentage of the time are they watching the Bundesliga? Uh, I mean, there's, yes, there's other programming. There's, yes, there's Serie A. Yes, there's other sports and 30 for 30 documentaries, etc. So they, they will know, even without you doing anything, they will know based on what you're watching, uh, what was the main driver in having you subscribe? Um, but if you do want to do something, there's no subscription. There's no like comment section on ESPN Plus to go ahead. But if you do um, Google uh, contact ESPN or contact uh, ESPN Plus, they actually have a uh, toll free one eight hundred number you can call. 
uh, you can always call and say, hey, I just want to share uh, some thoughts and, and, and share the reason why I subscribe to ESPN+. Plus. Thank you so much for ha- having the Bundesliga coverage. And they also have on their website, too, when you do Google um, contact ESPN, they do have a form on their website. It's kind of a general form. But again, if you wanted to go ahead and share some feedback as far as why you subscribe to ESPN+, Plus, you can put it in there. They'll definitely get it. They'll definitely read it. They'll definitely uh, take it into consideration. But again, at the end of the day, even if you did nothing, they would know. They would know based on the numbers and they would see uh, how much value there is in getting the Bundesliga and how, because how many people subscribe to that and, and what percentage of their time was watching the Bundesliga. But a great question, though. Yeah, and, and I think in many ways, too, I mean, ESPN Plus, uh, yes, they increased the price by a dollar. So it's now five ninety nine a month, but still... I don't know. I don't know about you, Kartik, but it's the best bargain out there. I think. Uh, you know, I mean, you can get a uh, a cup of coffee or a cup of tea at Starbucks, and, and it's the same same price. And uh, you know, I mean, it's gone within uh, twenty minutes. Uh, here, you've got a whole month of uh, soccer from around the world. Yeah, and and uh, they actually noticed the spike uh, when uh, Serie A when they when they gained the Serie A rights and mentioned that to us, Chris. So uh, I think it'll be similar with Bundesliga rights, although it may not be quite as pronounced because I'm guessing most soccer fans have already subscribed or most soccer fans that are inclined to subscribe. Maybe uh, there are a few that are Bundesliga first who haven't, uh, but uh, they did notice a spike. And, and you remember we had a meeting with them in Bristol that yeah. uh, specific to Serie A, that they had acquired the Serie A rights and then they had a bunch of new signups in the next week or two after that. And that's the thing, though, too. I think a lot of fans, I mean, most of our listeners, I think at this point, have subscribed to ESPN+. Plus. Not everyone. I, I know that just from the comments section at worldsoccertalk.com. There's a lot of people that are just like, ah, I'm not giving ESPN a single uh, penny more uh, than what I'm already paying them for through cable. But um, I think in many ways, though, too, is that um, there's still been a lot of people holding back. Uh, and then as they add on one more league and as they add on one more competition, that's the thing that sometimes changes it. They're like, okay, forget about it. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely subscribing now because not only do I get Serie A and the Championship and FA Cup, but I also now get the Bundesliga on top of that. So, you mean in terms of the value for money, it just gets a bit better and better and uh, less of an obstacle. Speaking of ESPN Plus, actually this weekend, uh, this Saturday is uh, the FA Community Shield between Arsenal and Liverpool. Not a lot of uh, hype or anticipation for this one, uh, unless you're an Arsenal or Liverpool supporter, because I think uh, both of the teams are going to be pretty much uh, a lot of youth playing in these games. I mean, obviously, uh, some of the the major players are wanting to kind of take it easy, not get injured before the season starts. But the the bigger news, perhaps, is right before the game on um, Saturday morning, they're going to have, for the first time in 12 years, the, uh, the Women's Community Shield. And I think it's Chelsea against Man City, and that's at 7.30 Eastern time on ESPN+. Plus. So that's another uh, added bonus of having ESPN+, Plus is you can watch um, the Women's uh, Community Shield, uh, which I don't, I don't think I've ever watched that. Uh, and then also following that is going to be a couple hours later, 11.30 Eastern, is going to be uh, Arsenal against Liverpool. So listeners, we want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com and we will read those out 
uh, on air. And again, this uh, this episode too, some great questions, some great feedback, some great opinions. And uh, I think it helps um, all of us really to kind of get the answers to some of those questions about TV coverage and about um, you know, feedback, those sorts of things. So, so keep them coming. All right, Kartik, uh, so don't forget, you can get uh, a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday on your uh, devices, but also you can get it on Google Home and Alexa. So just tell them to play World Soccer Talk or the World Soccer Talk podcast on Google Home, Alexa, Siri, etc., and that should pull it up that way. And uh, you can also get the podcast, of course, on Spotify, uh, Overcast, uh, TuneIn, TuneIn, yeah, TuneIn, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, YouTube, Pandora, uh, and of course, WorldSoccerTalk.com. And Kartik heading into another weekend. Uh, we've got the second week of Liga on. We've got the Community Shields. We've maybe got some MLS games. Uh, we've got Liga MX, and I'm sure the Brazilian League. And I'm sure probably a few other things I'm forgetting about, but there's, there's definitely... Oh, Sunday is the, uh, the final of the UEFA Women's Champions League between uh, Lyon and Wolfsburg. So, so a lot to look forward to, but uh, what are you going to be doing this weekend and what should the listeners do? I'm going to be enjoying my football and that Lyon-Wolfsburg match is actually first on my agenda. CBS All Access. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started (laughs) 